Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. The Bible reading is from Luke chapter 22 and verses 31 to 34 and then verses 39 to 46. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus went out as usual to the mountain of olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he arose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So we continue our series through the Lord's Prayer where we're looking at the Lord's Prayer line by line. And today we've come to the line in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, which says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And hopefully you'll remember from last time that that there's, there, are, there are two lines here. Uh, the first line is lead us not into temptation. And the second line is deliver us from the evil one. But actually there is just one request. Jesus is saying the same thing twice. He first says it negatively, lead us not into temptation. And then he says it positively, but deliver us from the evil one. So he's praying the same thing, the same request twice, once negatively and then once positively. Now hopefully from, you will remember from last time that the Greek word perasmos, which is translated temptation, has a wide range of meanings depending on the context. It, it can mean temptation or trial or test depending on the context. And within this context, it's clearly being equated with the evil one. So it clearly has a negative connotation. And so it's referring to going through testing times, going through some severe trials and temptations. It's referring to, to trials and temptations that come from the evil one. Now, last time we focused more on temptations. This time we're going to be focusing more on trials. But the big question is, why are we asking God not to lead us into testing times and trials? I mean, surely God would never lead us into trials. So, so why are we asking God to not do what he would never do? Does this mean that that God normally leads us into testing times and trials unless we, we ask him not to, unless we pray, lead us not into testing times. If we don't pray that, what he normally does is he puts us in harm's way. Well, of course not. So what does it mean when we pray, 
lead us not. We looked at this last time. Lead us not needs to be understood in light of its counterpart, deliver us. We're asking God to deliver us, to rescue us, to help us. We're asking God to help us to not give in when we face temptations, to to not fall when we face trials, to stand firm through testing times. Now, this request could be understood as though we're asking God to spare us from testing times, to, to spare us from all the trials in life. Uh, kind of like saying, God, please don't bring any problems in my life. Don't, don't bring any trouble in my life or any, any difficulty in my life. Please spare us. And, and to a degree, this is what it means when we pray, lead us not into testing times. It's asking God to not bring any big problems in our life, to, to spare us from that. And God often answers that prayer, and he does spare us from troubles. But people who don't pray to God and ask God to to spare them from troubles, very rarely do they notice and identify God's hand when they are spared. That they kind of live under this illusion that their life is totally and completely governed by chance by luck, by the whims of others, by their own cleverness. Now, of course, chance plays a huge part, but they simply fail to see the times when God's hand has spared them. And so, to some degree, this is a prayer about asking God to spare us from, from big troubles in life. But that's not its main meaning. That's not what it's really all about. It's not all about asking God to to spare us from trials so we'll have no trials, no difficulty in life, but we'll just have this nice, easy life. It's not really about that. It's more about asking God to help us so that we will not give in when we face temptation, That, that we will not fall when we face trials, that we will stand firm through testing times. And this meaning, this sense is brought out in the New Living Translation, which says, and don't let us yield to temptation. That could be translated, don't let us give in during testing times. Don't let us give in. It's asking God to help us, to protect us, to not give in. And effectively, it's a vote of no confidence. It's, it's a vote of no confidence in our own abilities to, to not give in and to stand firm during testing times. It's a way of saying, I, I can't do it. I need help. Please help. I need your help to enable me not to give in. And so this prayer is all about asking God to help us not give in. And this is, this is seen uh, in, in, when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So just before Jesus is arrested and, and then later crucified, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And now there's, there's a lot of parallels between the Lord's Prayer and Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I don't know if you've noticed that, but, but throughout the series, I've referred to Jesus praying in the Garden quite often. And so there, there are a lot of parallels. Both prayers address God as Father. 
Both prayers are concerned about God's will being done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And, and in both prayers, we, we have this line, that this prayer, that we will not fall into temptation. It's the same Greek word that means temptation or testing or trial. And so there are a lot of parallels between the two. Now, just before Jesus goes to the garden and prays, just before that, we read in Luke chapter 22 and verses 31, Jesus says to Peter, who's also called Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. In those days, they used to sift wheat through a sieve to separate the grain from the chaff. Uh, And this became a a sign and a symbol in the Old Testament for severe testing, for severe trials and troubles. And so what Jesus is effectively saying is, is Satan has asked, Satan is seeking to shake you violently as one shakes wheat in order to cause you to fall. And this is referring to all the difficulties, all the trials, all the troubles the disciples are about to face when Jesus is arrested. You see, Satan is, is going to bring all these trials, all these troubles upon the disciples with the hope that they will fall, that they would lose faith, that their faith would fail. And we carry on in verse 32. Jesus says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Take note, Jesus doesn't promise Simon that that there won't be any trials or troubles. Jesus doesn't even pray that, that Peter would be spared from the trial or the trouble. No. He prays that Peter's faith would not fail. And later, while Jesus is praying in the garden, he says to Peter and the other disciples twice in verse 40 and verse 46, pray that you will not enter into temptation. This is virtually the exact same phrase that's in the Lord's Prayer. uh, Lead us not into temptation. Pray that you will not enter, be led into temptation. And it's the same Greek word that means trial, testing, or temptation. This is not a prayer that that they would be spared from the trial and the trouble that was coming. This was a prayer that they would not give in, that they would stand firm. Unfortunately, Peter falls asleep, and he doesn't pray. And soon afterwards, he does fall, and he fails at his test. By denying Jesus three times. So how can we ensure that we don't give in? When we face trials and troubles and testing times, how can we ensure that we don't give in? Well, firstly, expect trials. Don't be surprised when you face trials in life. Jesus faced many trials He was persecuted. He faced many trials and troubles his whole life. And we are followers of Jesus. So don't expect anything different. Jesus was alienated and rejected. He was a victim of injustice and oppression. He he was persecuted. He suffered and he was crucified. And we followers of Jesus. So don't be surprised when we face trials and troubles of all kinds in life. 
we need to expect that. You see, life is hard. Sometimes life is wonderful. Sometimes life is difficult, painful. We have wonderful days, and then we have hard days, dark days, difficult days, painful days. That's life. And being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you're going to have an easy life. The Christian life is not easy. It's rewarding, but it's not easy. And Jesus doesn't promise us a carefree, easy life. Far from it. He says there will be trials and troubles. In fact, there will be trials of many kinds. There will be persecution. There will be financial issues, employment issues, health issues, mental and emotional issues, relationship problems and marital problems, bereavement and so on. Trials of many kinds. And when you've Just come through a a big trial in one area of your life and you're like, oh, I'm so glad that's over. You'll suddenly get hit by a trial in another area of your life. That's life. Life is hard. Peter, Simon Peter, writes in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. A fiery ordeal. That's a big ordeal. That's a... That's a big trouble. Don't be surprised. Expect it. Sometimes most of our discouragement comes not from the fact of the trial, of the trouble, but because we're surprised about the trouble. Why is this happening to me? Why me? It's not the trouble, not so much the trouble. It's our reaction to the trouble. It's our surprise about the trouble that causes us most of the trouble. And so Peter says, don't be surprised, expect it. We need to expect trials in life. Secondly, we need to identify the source. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, we read, Lead us not into testing, into trials, but deliver us from the evil one. Testing and trials is being equated with the evil one. It says, lead us not into trials, but deliver us from The trial? No, from the evil one. The trial and the evil one are being equated with each other. So we know that the source of trials, the source of testing times is not from God. It's from the evil one. By the way, some translations have evil one and some have from evil. The Greek can be translated either way. It can either be translated as impersonal evil or it can be translated as personal evil. It doesn't really make a big difference because all evil ultimately comes from personal evil, from the evil one, from, from which is often translated as the devil or Satan. And the reason life is hard is because we live in a fallen world. The world is not the way God intended it to be. It's broken. It's fallen. And we're told that evil and sin and death are ruling the world. We looked at this when we looked at the line, your kingdom come. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear that the world is being ruled by evil and dark spiritual forces. Yet despite this and over that, God is still directing and leading history in a certain direction. He's leading all history to the day of the Lord where Jesus will return and then all evil will be judged. God's kingdom will be fully established 
and the world will be renewed. It'll become exactly the way God intended it to be. But for now, evil is still ruling the world. We live in a broken world, a fallen world. And that's why we experience pain and suffering and heartache. Doesn't matter how much pain and heartache you're going through, we should never blame God because God isn't the author of evil. God doesn't cause your suffering. God doesn't want you to suffer. God is not the author of evil. James, in James chapter 1 and verse 17, makes this abundantly clear. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. God doesn't send evil and suffering. God doesn't cause evil and suffering. He's not the author of suffering. Rather, everything that is good, everything that is perfect in life comes from God. Anything that isn't good and perfect is a distortion and a corruption of the good life God intends. And it comes from the evil within our own heart and from evil itself. So the source of the trouble and the trial is evil. Many people blame God. They blame God and they become angry at God. I don't deserve this. Why are you doing this to me? Others blame God and they become filled with with despair and guilt. God is punishing me. I must have done something wrong. I must be a really bad person. Others blame God and as a result they lose faith and they they harden themselves. Life sucks. This, This is life. I don't care anymore. All of these responses is because they have incorrectly identified the source of trials and suffering. They've incorrectly blamed God, and as a result, they've become angry at God, they've become angry at life, or they've lost their faith. The problem isn't so much the the, the trouble and, and the trial they experience, as much as it is that they've incorrectly identified the source, and they don't know God as their loving Father. Their Abba Father. And this leads us to our, uh, my next point, number three. We need to know God as a loving Father. It's absolutely vital that we know God as our loving Abba Father. That's why the prayer starts, the Lord prayer starts with our Father. We need to know God as our loving Father who loves us and cares for us, who would never want us to suffer and experience pain, that only wants the best for us. And rather than bringing pain and suffering and evil, he he actually limits some of the effect of evil. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted. That's the same Greek word meaning testing and trials beyond what you can bear. He's going to limit it to what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. He will provide a way out. Kind of sounds like he's just going to remove the trouble. But the next line makes it very clear. It's all about providing a way for you to endure it. He's going to be there strengthening you and enabling you and helping you to endure and get through it. He's also working out his plans for the good. 
In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. This doesn't mean God sends the trouble and the problems, doesn't cause the evil. It means that God uses that for good. He uses that to, to work out his ultimate plans. He uses that to, to transform our character, to make us more like Jesus. He, he uses that to deal with the evil within our own hearts. Now, the fact that God used what was meant and intended for evil, for good, doesn't justify the evil. The evil is still evil. God still hates it. God will still judge it. But God is able to use it to bring about good. And so when we're going through trials and and difficulties, we never blame God. We need to trust God. We need to know God as our loving Father, our Abba Father, and trust Him, knowing that He will never leave us nor forsake us, knowing that nothing can separate us from His love, not even death, knowing that He feels our pain and He weeps with us. Like all good fathers, when we are weeping, He weeps with us. Knowing that he will never leave us, that he's there with us, helping us, strengthening us, encouraging us to endure. And ultimately, he's working out his plans for the good. We have a hope of a new creation where there will be no more evil or death or tears. We need to trust God as our loving father. And then fourthly, we need to realize that the real enemy is evil. The real enemy is not the trial or the trouble we're experiencing. The real enemy is, is not the circumstance. It, it's not the, the heartache we feel in. It's not the pain. It's not the suffering. The real enemy is evil itself. When you are experiencing a trial and a trouble, you can either give in to evil or you can stand firm and resist evil. When you're going through a really hard time and you're going through this trial, you can give in to evil. You you can blame God. You can blame life. You can turn your back on God. You can hate the other person. The other person who hurt you, who caused the circumstance, who caused the problem, you can hate them. You can seek revenge. You can become filled with with bitterness and anger and resentment. You can even hate yourself. That's giving in to evil. That's letting evil win. That's how evil wants you to respond. Or you can stand firm and resist evil. You can continue to trust God. And remain faithful to God and trust God as your loving Father, as your Abba Father. You you can continue to adore God. You can continue to, to surrender to His will. And you can forgive others. You can forgive the person who persecuted you, who insulted you, who hurt you, who who caused all your problems. Just as God forgave you. You can resist evil, not with evil, 
but with love. You can overcome evil with love, just as Jesus did, by loving your enemies. That's how we overcome evil. That's how we are delivered from evil. And that's why Paul can pray or can say in, in, chapter, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We can forgive those who hurt us, who insult us, who persecute us, because we know they're not the real enemy. The real enemy is evil spiritual powers. And so we can forgive them. We, we can hate the sin, but love the sinner. And this is how we overcome evil. This is how we are delivered from evil. This is how we can overcome evil with love. But we can't do this by ourselves. Can we? We can't do this naturally. We need help. And that's why we pray, don't let us give in during trials, but deliver us from evil. It's a vote of no confidence. It's a way of saying, I can't do this. I need help. Please help me, God, to not give in. Please help me to overcome evil. Please help me to overcome evil with love. And we can only do this only because of Jesus, that we are able to be delivered from evil. You see, evil is a very real enemy, a very real powerful enemy. But evil is a defeated enemy. Jesus defeated evil on the cross. And so we have a sure and a certain hope of a future in, in a renewed creation where there will be no more evil or suffering or death or tears. But we can also overcome evil in the present now because of Jesus' death on the cross. When Jesus was arrested, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 53, when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. It's as if he realizes that all the powers of darkness are gathering together in one place, and they're gathering together by him. And it's like he realizes that he's going to have to defeat this, this power of evil by dying under the weight of the world's sin. In Matthew's version, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 45, Jesus says, Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Delivered into the hands of evil. It's only because Jesus is delivered into the hands of evil that we can be delivered from evil. It's only because of Jesus' prayer that we can pray, deliver us from evil. When Jesus prayed, take this cup from me, God said, actually, no. This is the cup, and you have to drink it. It's only because of what Jesus did on the cross that we can pray this prayer of deliverance. And so when we come to pray this, it always brings us back to the foot of the cross with awe and with gratitude 
for what Jesus did for us. And it's because of what Jesus did for us that we're able to pray the Lord's Prayer all the way through to the last line and say, let us not give in during trials, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of the cross and we stand here before it with gratitude that you were prepared to be delivered into evil so that we could be delivered from it. And Father, we do have a vote of no confidence in our own abilities. We know there's just too much selfishness, too much evil within our own hearts. We're so quick to to give in to evil ourselves. But Father, when we face those difficult times, those trials, those hardships, help us to pray that we would not give in during those times. And that we would pray, deliver us from evil. And Father, we pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would empower us and enable us to remain faithful, to follow the way of Jesus. Even though that way brings hardship, Father, we we realize that ultimately after the cross comes resurrection, comes new life, real life. Father, we thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are with us the whole time, that you won't let us experience anything that we can't bear, and nothing, not even death, can separate us from your love. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.